You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love her. Brown skin, love her. Brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Welcome to the Minority Troublers Podcast, and I'm your host Greg Eld, Culture Change Agent. On this show, we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and future generation of leaders. Today's show is going to be a classic. It is long. It is two hours long. So you know, <laughs> last week was hour 50. We done passed the two-hour threshold. But I guarantee those that listen through to the end, you got nuggets on nuggets, realness on realness, conversations that we are not having in this space, specifically around women's rights, specifically around black women's rights. So Definitely stay tuned. For my men out there, we talk about some real stuff too because I'm on the show as well. And I'm just excited to showcase this woman. She's a podcaster, event planner, sociologist. I mean, um, she just is very, very well-rounded and unique. So this flavor of the show is definitely, definitely real. I know last week's show was phenomenal. Like one of my best shows ever. This show is, is right up there with it. So I can't wait to share her story, her journey. And definitely for my people, my entrepreneurs out there, my change agents, my people of marketing and branding, this is the show for you. My people that want somebody to come with that realness. I'm talking about from a single single mother perspective from a woman. Usually we hear the narrative from a man, so we get to hear her story. And this is just a refreshing, refreshing interview to have. First and foremost, thank you so, so much for every single person that is registered at MinorityTrailBlazer.com to get more information about the, the conference. In one day, we have been able to have over 100 people sign up for more information. I'm just flabbergasted. I'm mind-boggled for that amount. And I guarantee, I promise you, we are going to put up an event that's going to go down to history. <laughs> I'm putting way too much swag on it. What is with this? Um, also, thank you, LinkedIn, Twitter, IG, fam, for your comments, your messages, your feedback. Thank you so much. Please continue to leave such. And for my IG fam. My No Trailblazer podcast will be way more active on IG. I know I have not been doing the best job keeping that updated. I think we're like episode 26 on there. So I'm going to make sure I update it. And I will definitely, in season four, we will have a lot more Q&A. Get your questions that you want to ask to some of our, our, our expert guests or my up-and-coming guests. So make sure, be on the lookout, be on the lookout for that. Uh, so let's get into it. Let's get into it. Oh, 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 oh. Make sure you leave a review too. If you listen to via iTunes right now, 
in in in, in you've listened to more than one episode, make sure you leave your review. Leave a review, please, 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 please. I'm begging. We need to get to like 200. We at 157 right now. So leave you leave a review. And make sure you do that. All right, let's get into the show. And I am excited. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overjoyed. I just I had this conversation with our guest on the show before the show yesterday, and her energy, her 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 transparency in our 15 minute conversation, like we was giving away stuff. I was like, "Yo, hold this for the podcast." <laughs> so um, I know she's gonna drop a lot of gems. I feel it in my heart. This is gonna be a classic episode. And last week was a classic, and I think we just gonna top last week's episode. And for those of you that have been following the podcast, you know I typically do not record in the evenings because I go to bed at 9:30. But it's 9:30 right now. But we still gonna do a phenomenal show. I'm a I'm a talk like it's usually in my comfort zone, like in the 4 a.m. 5 a.m. I'm gonna bring that type of energy. So, yes, 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 yes. And today's also gonna be different as well as because what she does on an everyday basis is really plays into like the theme and the, the season I'm in. And the one word I think about is community because I think mm. community is key, growing, developing, and spreading conversations that matter with purpose. And in order for those communities to grow in a space, a lot of times that's usually events. And world-class events allow experts and their participants to both grow and learn together. Bad events waste people's money, time, and influence. So today we have on the show a young woman in event planning space that is, is that is dominated, honestly, by... I'm not even getting that. I'm going to let her say it. So it's dominated by a lot of people that don't look like her that is not female so and she's going to bring us bring to us her real journey um her business and her event planning expertise so for my entrepreneurs for my my women trailblazers for everybody that's on the east coast grinding trying to do their thing this is the show for you let me lead a little bit of a bio and then we gonna jump right into it so she is the owner and founder of real events llc she earned a bachelor of arts degree from highly ranked wellesley college majoring in international relations and sociology Chinese was her choice for a second language. I don't know. I took a Chinese class in college and almost failed that thing. I don't know why that's her second choice. We can get into that. Simultaneously, she began her career at corporate events. Known for her innate passion for social causes, program management, and using innovative approaches to event planning, she has had the pleasure of working with major foundations like the Kellogg Foundation and the Detroit Chinese Business Association and the United Way. She thrives on creating high business returns for her clients, and she has raised a quarter of a million dollars through an outdoor fundraising event for Child Development Association of Roswell, Georgia, and that's just a snippet of what she has done, not only for herself, not only for her community, but for corporations that book her to do events, and I'm excited to bring on the podcast. I know she's going to come with a new edge, and so without further ado, I would like to introduce Gabrielle Jones to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you have great energy, and I know this is going to be an awesome um, podcast interview. So oh, thank you, you. You already know. You already know. So if you've been listening to the show, 60-plus episodes in the bag, a couple hundred thousand yes. downloads all across yes. the country, you know we that winning. we – Yeah, you know we winning. But it's all because <laughs> of, of you, first and foremost, the listeners. But you always know we start off with a quote. So, Miss Jones, can I call you Miss Jones? 
Yes, yes. Or Mrs. Riel. Riel is great. Riel. Yeah, Riel sounds... Miss Jones is kind of like, it's good, but Riel give me that spice to it. So I like right. Riel. <laughs> so Riel, can you give us a quote that you live by and a story about how you apply that quote to your everyday life? Yeah, so um, I've actually been thinking about this question a lot because typically I don't really live by quotes, but mm-hmm. one quote that has stuck with me throughout my life has been, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me, I've overcome and I've got weathered a lot of storms that I never um, saw in my future. I think that's something we'll talk about a little later in the podcast, yeah. but growing up, I was really sheltered and um, going especially through college into my early adult life, I really had to um, lean heavier on um, God or and um, kind of really delve into my, my spirituality and my faith and what it looks like to me and also kind of challenge it in a way. And so I think that um, the quote is not as easily said for me as it was when I was a child and I could just, you know, I could do all things and I take that just for a test. But now it's like the challenges are even bigger. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're even more real. And it's like, can I do this? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah, I can. <laughs> so I think, um, that's the quote that I would choose to to continue to be with me, um, with my journey. Yeah, and I and I was going to ask for the story, impress you for the story, but that's a perfect segue into kind of who you are. But I do want to park right there for one second, mm-hmm. um, because I, I love what you said as far as challenge. Because in 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 your head and in my head, there's so many quotes that for people that that do attend church and to prescribe to the religion of Christianity, that we say. All the time, like okay, mm-hmm. God is good all the time. I'm highly favored and all this other things. Right. But as you, if if you are taking, and this is my opinion, I'm not a mm-hmm. preacher, but if you are taking like steps in your spiritual life, those quotes are you need to challenge those quotes. You need to say, okay, why do I believe that though? Like, right. it's right. easy to say in the moment, like somebody going through something. Oh, God got you, man. God got. But right. like, what does right. that mean? And then that's when people. It's not my battle. It's yours. Wait, what? <laughs> but like, I'm here right now. <laughs> yeah, like what you, that ain't helping me. Like the preacher last last week, he talked about. Um, he said, "Yo, I'm spending all this time blessing people. Well, when my blessing gonna come?" Like, that's why people, a lot of people jump off and get unenamored with religion and stuff like that and God, because when you come from that mindset, like, yo, I'm blessing everybody with my blessing on a, I mean, I'm, and and for y'all, for all y'all that are not religion, don't, don't worry. We're not going to stay here that long, but. No, but I think it's, I think it's important. And I think that everybody has some sense of spirituality, even if it's not vocalized in a specific religion, Mm -hmm. you have some sense of. I'm supposed to do something, you yeah. know, and I want to find th- what that is. And I want to live up to something bigger than being a jerk to everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> There's something in you that and wants, and wants to also be known for being good, you know, mm-hmm. like even the person who struggle with the most vices, they in, the, in their deepest heart is going to say, I'm a good person because mm-hmm. that's something that they're looking for. And, and when we talk about our religion, I think sometimes we get so focused on the people you know, versus the spiritual journey and that we're all trying to answer the same questions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, like, going back to the conversation we had yesterday about burning bridges and, you know, no bridge can be burnt too badly that you can't rebuild it with effort. But I also feel like with my journey, one of the things that I struggled with was kind of the um, um, dealing with things that happened to me that 
weren't my fault. And like I grew up um, very much um, heavily Christian, uh, non-denomination, but really prescribing to that good girl um, idea. And I think probably a lot of your female listeners would really understand what that means, especially um, I know like I have a lot of Muslim girlfriends and Mm -hmm. their idea of the good girls is very much the same as what mine was as a Christian. And um, if you could real quick, mm-hmm. what is a good like? I mean, because for the main listeners, yeah. who don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, you know, you want to wait till marriage. Um, marriage is like the pinnacle of um, your womanhood is mm-hmm. when hopefully after graduating from college or around college time, you you meet someone who is equally, quote unquote, yoked or similar to you and aspirations or where they want to go. And as a woman, a lot of times the idea is that you'll um, not only find this husband, but then you'll be able to really start your life as a woman and be able to think about having children and um, instilling those things to them. And also, like, through this, you don't want your reputation to ever be scarred before you meet Mr. Right, whoever that is. And you don't want him to ever hear something bad about you. So, like, the idea of being a good girl really weighs heavy on every action that you do and also like every action that you do not just for you but with this person that you've never met before Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like uh, which is like it's it's a lot of weight especially when you're trying to find yourself and and i think that like even a lot of the religious guys that i know their ideas of being good in their faith was not as heavy as yeah. <laughs> the girls, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you got you have a little bit more freedom, a little bit like boys will be boys. Yeah. Uh, he's trying, you know, whatever. But yeah, so I think that um, especially when you get to college or certain things happen to you, you start challenging. Like you know, I did all these things that are supposed to be right, and why did this happen to me? And you know, why did even um, why don't I have as much support or whatever it is? And um, I think that for if you were religious growing up and you did pres- subscribe to this idea of good girl, it can make you start questioning like God, not God, why? Well, maybe God, why? And also God, where are you in this? You know, because I've been believing so much, I've been sacrificing a lot of who I am. Yeah, and you see other people, they getting it in and they win. Yeah, they, they win. Just, <laughs> and they seem like they're winning. You see them on Instagram. You see the. In Atlanta, we like to be very flashy. So you see them at the clubs, and they look good. They got, you know, good-looking people around them. And you're like, whoa, I'm struggling here. Things aren't as easy. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I don't know how we got down that road. but no, it, it got down because, I mean, I, I, I was in a Bible class one time. And, and, and trust me, listeners, we're going somewhere. But I was in a Bible yeah. class one time, and somebody was like, yo, like, challenge why you believe in. And that's scary for me as, as yes. a believer. I'm like challenging why i believe it because that 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 makes me accountable to know kind of why i do have scripture-based thing and kind of have a solid belief because it's easy to say oh yeah i believe this and it's somebody that's from a a, from a different path or just somebody just ask questions or why you believe that and if you were just saying well shoot god got like what is that so i just like why why does god have to be male and like for a long time i thought people were like you're just gaslighting you know this whatever and he like well you know earlier text really refer to God as a black female and stuff like not to get crazy on, you know, into this or whatever. But like the idea, like, can you challenge your idea of God and where did you get your original thought of God, you know, and what are you, you kind of 
mirroring that. And for me, in, early on in my um, adult life and even like starting to leave high school, those questions were very like triggering, like, you're just baiting me, you know, like, <laughs> versus like, wait, why do I? Like, you know, and I think that takes maturity in your, your spiritual journey to be able to really reflect and, and challenge some of those things. And then maybe at the end you do say, no, I really do believe it is a male, you know, and I really do believe he he looks this way or, you know, he acts this way, you know, or whatever. Yeah, and I think for those of you listening, to kind of make that tie in and kind of segue into what we're doing, I think it's really important that we ask those critical questions in our own career and our own path. Not yeah. If you're a teacher, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a change agent, if you are a DJ, whatever, whoever you're listening to, asking those critical questions like they like, why am I doing this? Like, right, right. Like the little and, things. And, in, yeah, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. And then one last thing. If you have high school listeners, um, I participated at um, in this Emory program, Youth Theological Institute. And it's a summer program, I think, for like juniors. And basically, they bring in pe- students from all over. And you talk about religion. You talk about environmental racism. And as a as a Christian, Muslim, someone who may not believe in anything yet, or you're you're struggling with your faith, or whatever it is, you, you're you're looking at these different social issues and um, also different texts across religions. And I think that was so eye opening for me as a student and everybody who was who was in a program and i think that um if you're just curious you don't have to be like oh i want to be a theologian one day mm-hmm. you can just apply and they have really great um scholarship and stuff amen so just a plug because that's you, half of what i do so. <laughs> you gotta be saying amen on this thing good job <laughs> we don't went left but uh, i know my audience is listening in like hold up she sound deep to be an event planner like uh keep you keep your seats on <laughs> yeah <laughs> keep your seats on it is like you can tell and i did want to it's going in, and after i do this little rant you can go right on to kind of who you are and set the yeah. text of this, this show but it does when you were listening to her and this discussion before we even get into it segues into the point of like the college because I, I ain't gonna lie it said highly ranked wellesley college i've never heard of wellesley college like when she when she reached out on linkedin like i go i've i she didn't come off pretentious but she's like yeah I, like, <laughs> so don't no, no, don't be looking so at me sideways real but you're like yeah i i had the experience of attending an ivy league school and i said Wellesley College? What Ivy League is that? Like, what? Who's that? So, um, please, in your story, talk to like what Wellesley College and me, some some alumni, kind of paint that picture. But for my audience that are new to to who you are and what you do, you don't even gotta get to what you do. Point. We'll get to that. But okay. who you are and where you're from, please share us with the audience. Well, first thing, I am from Decatur, where it's greater in Atlanta, <laughs> near Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I am very proud of being from Decatur. <laughs> If you can't hear it in my voice, I think that it's just a phenomenal place that is going to have its own comeback soon, which I'm excited for. But um, I grew up in a tutoring service. So my mom, she went to MIT and then she did the corporate America thing for a while and then realized it really wasn't for her. And she started a tutoring service, Wings of Knowledge, in um, Decatur, Georgia, so that she could help predominantly black students really achieve whatever academic goals that they had and also dream bigger than probably what was said on them before. And routinely I saw, especially young men come in with the idea that like, um, 
you know, black people aren't good at math or I can't do this or I've struggled this long in this subject and I'm never going to be good at it. And within weeks, their whole demeanor change and their whole like view on the topic or the subject matter completely change. And they, they're going to the class and they're running to the board to teach everybody how to do the next lesson plan and uh, or the next topic. And that really motivated me in understanding that educating people and giving people the opportunity to learn at their pace and provide different ways of teaching stuff can really change someone's perspective on life and what they go to try to achieve. Mm -hmm. Fast forwarding, I, I went to um, Wellesley College, which is a women's college. We're the number three college in America, um, number one women's college. We're known for... Um, really great women like Hillary Clinton, Diane Sawyer, Madeleine Albright. Oh, wow. We had like the last Empress of China was a student. Um, a lot of princesses and stuff like that. Were, <laughs> Empresses were, of China, princesses. I'm like, am I listening to a Disney movie? Yeah, Thailand, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And the school was really originally formed so that the elite women could get their training on mostly how to be a great wife and a woman at, of the time. And then they could marry um, predominantly Harvard men. So like how you have Spellman kind of, you have Spellhouse, Spellman and Morehouse. Mm -hmm. Wellesley was um, like with Harvard. And that was around the time where you had Rad, Radcliffe and all these women colleges. And Wellesley was like the most pristine one kind of. I didn't know about Wellesley growing up. I was always very... Um, intellectually curious did you go with I, your father too and did you have siblings no no just i was only child um i grew up with my mom i come from a line of only children so mm -hmm. very small family um but i i had the idea that i was going to be a diplomat i'm like this is what i want to do um i had a couple teachers who really supported that what is a diplomat and, too because i know yeah like a foreign service officer so basically you know, it's a person that goes to lives in another country and you advise like the U.S. on how we should um, trade or um, interact with the, the home country you're, you're staying in for at least two years. Mm -hmm. And so you advise them on like immigration policies or cultural things or, you know, um, war strategies, things that you think will really help and um, and the U.S. relations or whatever country you're representing. And so for me, I wanted to represent America and China and be the U.S. diplomat for China and kind of tell the U.S. government, this is what we should do. You know, this is the tactics we should kind of come up with and also represent um, American interests in China and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so two of the female secretaries of state actually went to Wellesley, which was like, OK, two out of three. That's good um, because obviously it's very rare for women <laughs> to hold that position. Mm -hmm. And so I had a, um, a, a teacher who really pushed me towards Wellesley. Um, I originally wanted to go to Carnegie Mellon. Um, they have men there, and that I was really. <laughs> plus. Oh man, they have men there. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that was like a one because I never thought I was gonna go to a women's college, you know, or whatever. And um, she was like, well, if you go to this school, when you graduate, you'll be in a part of like a really elite world. And at that point, I didn't get it. You know, it's like, OK, whatever. I just thought you work hard, you get you get the job. I didn't really know anything about networking mm -hmm. and, you know, there being kind of levels and stuff like that. 
Um, and so <clears throat> at Wellesley, I ended up studying international relations um, and sociology, and Chinese was my language. And I started working with a lot of nonprofits because I realized if I was going to be a diplomat, I needed to know more about what was happening in the world, like the world's issues, not just like main topics, but what were the people dealing with and, and how did you solve those problems? And I thought that nonprofits were the people that defined the problems and they created solutions and mm -hmm. I should work with them. And every role that I had working with different nonprofits, they kept pulling me to reorganize um, their programs, restructure it, create syllabi, create timelines, deal with their donors, and also do marketing things. What I realized, though, these were all skills that I learned growing up in my mother's tutoring service. Mm -hmm. And I had an eye for marketing because I did a lot of our flyers, I did a lot of our signs, and because she came up with a corporate background, she cared a lot about tracking data and, like, which sign did you see? Oh, they saw the pink one. Gabby, that was yours. Or, you know, what flyer are you responding to? Mm -hmm. And things like that. And also managing um, African-American students of different ages in the summertime to only focus on education. It's hard to get them to do it in, in the school year. So Right, right. So you have to like really be good at understanding how long their attention span is going to be for this. How do you get it creative? How do you engage them? And when you can do that, um, when you can really do that for, for that community, it gets easier applying those skills for other communities. And as, as something else that I, I said um, really helped me, especially with donors of whatever level, whether they're giving tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, was working in my mother's tutoring service where you have, like, again, African-American mothers who might come in and their child grade did not come up. They're like, whoa, what's going on? They're mm -hmm. on you. And you have to be able to understand where they're coming from, empathize, you know, be able to articulate why they might not have seen a change. Oh, Johnny didn't turn in the homework that we did. And all those homeworks were zeros. But also understand that a lot of times they aren't heard and where they're coming from so that they under when you respond back, they are heard this time. And so in the future, they're your biggest cheerleaders, you know. But wouldn't and you so, say, not to mm -hmm. cut you off, but wouldn't you say yeah. in certain um, settings that's where a lot of anger comes from or mis miscommunication comes from just no, from the fact that people feel they're not being heard right oh definitely definitely or you're trying to shush them or you're trying to like you know just not give them the time to get whatever is off their chest and acknowledge exactly what they they brought up to you you know don't go back to this is how we do it this the handbook. <laughs> yeah. You just try to keep that's, that's the tornado word, going faster. Mm -hmm. Oh, yep. Keep the tornado going faster. You already know how that is. But yeah, so that's kind of how I ended up falling into this career. Um, I held different positions. Yeah, um, and we're going we're gonna, to, because I'm definitely yeah. going to paint it, because the way, the way <laughs> I want to shape the show is, I do want to talk about your, your nonprofit journey before the event planning. And then okay. I want to talk about the event planning specifically, kind of paint the picture of what your company does and what makes you unique. Then kind of go through some questions that people usually have for event planning so you can kind of do the do's and don'ts and write, oh, write, the, write the true narrative. But there's two questions before we get into your post-college journey. 
I did want to ask mm-hmm. these questions, and um, I don't think I've ever asked these questions. So if it gets too personal, let me know. But there's two questions that on my my on my mind is one: what was it, what was it like going into an elite institution, uh, of being a, a woman of color in that space? Also, two: what was it like growing up uh, in a single parent household when you had no dad? Because we always uh, in society, I look at we paint the picture of these boys, these these, these boys with no father figures. But yeah, I I I I not I know this is this is a bit this is a podcast no, 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 but no, I, I would like you to share because I don't think we ever I've never on this podcast asked that question or had that narrative so I, and I, plus I just never in society um, the people that the women that grow up with no dad so like, can yeah. You share? So I think it's interesting. Okay, I'll go to the second one first because I think it's interesting. I um I never felt. So seeing my mother really go after her goals and her dreams, and literally when she started her tutoring service, she had less than a thousand dollars in a bank. You know, she oh, so started she, in her she was house. an MIT and had a corporate career. Oh. Yeah, well, you know, life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> life is real, and you know, I think that was part of her journey with like my father and getting divorced from him. So she divorced him when I was one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even after that, I think they had a little back and forth before she decided that that was completely done. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think her success and what she was doing, if you are partnered with the wrong person, that person can wipe out all of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can be making good money and that partner can be at home just, you know, mm-hmm. living. But I think... Um, seeing my mother so strong and not strong and like, oh, she had battles, but seeing her take care of her business and people really respecting her. And even the fact like all the little boys in the neighborhood would want to come by the house and hang out, not because of me really, but because my mom was so nice. She would cook. The house felt like love. You know, she wanted to hear what was going on. She would help you with your homework or whatever. I never felt like, oh, I needed a dad here. Oh, maybe because I was talking to my sister. I have a half-sister in um, Virginia. She's 10 years older than me. And um, I was like, one time, our father, he was, like, staying with my um, with us or whatever. I think it was one of the points that they were trying to see would, they, would it work again. And I remember, like, going to my mom and, like, asking her, like, so when is he leaving? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what? Like, I'm ready for him to roll out. So, like, I never had this, like feeling or this desire of yearning of like I need this dad or this dad figure I felt pretty like secure in self or whatever but um going back to the first question um what was it like as a person of color going to one of these elite schools I think like there's two two things of that like as a black woman this was the first time I was in one of these spaces where I saw other black students who were uber affluent because we had students who were like coming from all over the world and some of them were like coming from um different african countries but their fathers were like chiefs and like they were super affluent you Mm -hmm. know and they didn't even identify with like the struggle or whatever Mm -hmm. or even trying to communicate like this is our black experience or this is what's going on i don't think it would have really made too much sense to them because that wasn't what they experienced. And even like when we talked like in our political science classes about some of the classisms in their home country, like, oh no, that's not really there. Because again, that wasn't their experience. But then on the flip side, 
I think as a black student at the institution, you start seeing the cracks in it. You know, you see the idealism and you see like our, so our slogan is women who will, women who will run the world, women who will run for president, women who will, you know, change racism or whatever it is, you fill in the blank. And um, you see that like our connections help a lot of the women of non-color really a lot quicker than they help us. And it's not that mm. we're taking different classes or we're taking, you know, um, whatever. It's just, and, and, perha and perhaps it is with building the network and learning how to build your network while you're at, at these colleges so that you're not behind the horse trying to build it once you graduate. Um, but I think that there's, that being a person of color, you see the areas that the school hasn't thought about you and how your, your experience would be different. You know, or like I became personally independent when um, my I was um, in college, so I ended up having to put myself through college. Wellesley is not a college for historically for the working class, but really for people who are trying to put themselves through. And um, and just to put, give reference, it, the idea is that you will spend forty four to fifty five hours a week on your coursework outside of classroom time. Fifty hours a week. Right. What kind of 50 hours a week? What? Yeah. What? It's, it's, it's even 50 hours in a week? You know, so like this Good is only like at least 11 hours a week per subject um, that, that you take on. What kind of subject outside you Outside of teaching? the classroom. You just say you take a Chinese. That's what? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, there's things to that, like, that I think kind of. Now I know that I want to fight for when, I, when I'm able to. And um, when I was at Wellesley, I, I ran for college government president under, on the platform of reducing stress and promoting mental health because I think that's another thing that is a problem there. And a lot of the Ivy League schools, which is why you have student suicides, which we don't talk about enough, but we've all seen them um, or, or witnessed it. Um, and... It's because we don't talk about the stresses the students have, why they feel like things are so out of control, and finding real solutions so that we aren't creating these pitfalls for these young brains and these young people to fall into, you know, that we've seen happen again and again and again. So um, I think that's something that was also triggered by me being a black student and not having some of the support that I needed and that I wanted and I didn't want to keep complaining about it yeah that's 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 great you know thank you thank you for sharing and I don't I, I don't want to go into it now but I always in my, in my back of my head I always think especially when I was growing up like man oh we have all these we, our, our nation is becoming a, a very very diverse nation in the U.S. like I mean I don't yeah. know if white why is definitely not a majority majority anymore is it or is it? No, or it's not going to be. Yeah, it's not going to be pretty soon. However, yeah. as you see, as you know, we have majority of these uh, the high positions in in the government, and the state offices, or whatnot, are not uh, people that that look like the demographic that is serving. So right. I've always right. kind of not laughed at it, but like, yo, I I, I get y'all y'all deep over there, at Harvard and, and and Wellesley and all the stuff. Y'all learning stuff to do international relations with people, and whatnot. But it's like so. The elite elite, they get to rule over like everybody else, and you don't even look like what we're doing. 
So I've right. always kind of had that conflict because I know you need smart and affluent people in those positions that are making it. But then it always goes to show and you see it in public school system. You see it all yep. around where yep. it's like, OK, so what we do in public education? Well, I wonder, well, I can't I can't comprehend why this student won't come to class on time. Why the student will skip school or why the yeah. student is doing it. I can't comprehend it, but I'm, I'm making those decisions. So why do you think like. And this is, and and you could be brief. No, I think this is this is a, a really big issue. Like, I'm sorry, I'll let you finish. No, 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 I'm, I'm here. I'm here for it. Yeah, I think this is a really big issue because, on one hand, I think that schools like Wellesley, they're important because they do a really good job at teaching students how to analyze really dense and really heavy topics, statistics, create the research digest it and then present it in um, written forms that people can understand. A lot of times like research books, um, lectures and stuff like that. And you need that. And I don't think a lot of times most programs teach us a deep enough analysis, right? Which is why you get a lot of um, representatives that we might have who you kind of, you might be a little bit embarrassed, like, wow, like even if you didn't know a, a trivia fact, because I'm not a trivia person. You didn't, you couldn't reason through that and, you know, like, so for instance, we, I won't say the um, congressman name we had, but we had a congressman in Georgia who made a comment, like, if everybody in Cuba went to one side of the island, it, it would flip over. If everybody went to, like, the north side, the whole island would flip over. And you said this on, like, Congress floor, on C-SPAN, we're watching this, as you represent us, and, you know oh, you couldn't think that through. <laughs> but I think on the other hand... <laughs> it sounds like something I would say, so I can't laugh too hard. <laughs> no, no, but it's just kind of like... But on the other hand, I think that like some of the, the conclusions and biases that we bring in the elite do not get highlighted enough. You know, So I've worked with Harvard and Wellesley um, professors and researchers to do stuff, and I think that like we like to really highlight the people that we're um, researching their problems, you know, like, okay, we're going to go into the black community and little black boys have all these things and they're prone to X, Y, and Z. But we don't define ourselves as the researchers enough and where our positionalities are. So like you were saying before, you might have someone who's coming from these backgrounds and they go to the classroom. They're like, I don't know why, you know, Tom won't come to class today. Well, well, his mom has three jobs. He has a little sister. He has to take to school before he comes here. He has to try to make, you know, get her ready and prep, hair done and all that. And then he comes to school late because he's really taking on those roles too. But because they're so far out of that experience and they haven't had enough self-awareness, they miss their bias, you know, and I think that's a problem. And um, I've talked to some people, especially up here in Detroit, about um, – Teach for America um, people coming. And I know they heavily pull from oh schools like God. Wellesley, yeah. like Harvard, mm -hmm. and they, mm -hmm. they put them into um, schools that they deem struggling or almost unable to, like, without these saviors com coming in, well, they wouldn't be able to turn it around. But the thing is that a lot of people from these backgrounds have never been any... I've been to public school, you know, not, oh, I've been to public school, but, like, I've actually been there and I've had students who were truant students or who dealt with these problems, you know? And so I can sympathize in a way that 
perhaps some of my peers wouldn't be able to, even though I personally did not go through some of those struggles, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, perhaps Teach for America isn't doing enough training to teach them how to be empathetic or how to see other circumstances that might be happening um, versus just going to the, oh, they just don't like school. Oh, they just trying to be too cool versus there could be real, real life stuff that's going on, you know. Nah, you hit on the head and uh, I, I really am. I, I want to jump to the event planner, but I don't want to do your story disservice to kind of curate. But it's that. all important. Yeah, it yeah. all goes together. Because I do want to jump because we talked about it yesterday. But if you could speak real briefly about your first job out of college and then that that moment that like, whoa, hold up. This is real. Like this whole I know I'm deep. I know I'm smart. I know I'm a good worker. And when it just didn't pan out, because I think you said something deep. And I know a lot of people that's listening right now can identify when you're when you're doing everything you think you're supposed to be doing. You're checking all your diet. You're crossing all your T's. And then doors get closed in your freaking face. And you're like, what? hold up. Whoa, 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 whoa. This right. is the American dream. I'm doing it. Like, what in the world? So talk us through your first job out of college, lesson learned, and then kind of when that when when that first shift or when that first shock to your life happened. Yeah. So my, my I actually like this story. It sounds a little sad at first, but this is another full circle moment and, like, another testament. Like, if you stay in a race long enough, you can have a win and the first like setback doesn't have to be your final setback. So like leaving Wellesley, I had already gone through this thing of like right before I was graduating, I had three potential jobs that like I was either the second person or third person to like potentially get that job and I didn't get it. And like they were all international jobs that would have I would have whole nother like life right now <laughs> if I had gotten them. So I was really sad afterwards. Like, whoa, I just graduated. And now I'm realizing that all that work, I had turned down Columbia. I had turned down George Washington for grad school. And now I don't even have these jobs. Um, and life was like, come to me. Like, am I going to have to, I'm literally thinking, am I going to have to go into a shelter? Right. Oh, what? And <laughs> whoa. literally, what? Li- no, literally. And so I'm praying, and um, this is another point where I, the quote that I used before, like, I could do all things through um, Christ who strengthens me, really comes in. And I'm like, God, I'm about to go on these inter- interviews all around. I um, reached out to as many places that seemed like, you know, they were going to offer me a position. I was like, I'm going to do an in-person interview. I'm flying there, and I used my money. I flew to Connecticut, went to Boston. Rhode Island, Texas, and Georgia was my last stop. And I said, I'm from Atlanta. If anything, I could stay with people and I'll figure it out. And the that Friday I was supposed to land, I was supposed to go to Atlanta. The Thursday, United Way called me about an application I had submitted, submitted months ago. And they said, hey, can you come in on Monday for a interview? And I'm like, looking up to like, you know, God, like, thank you, because it's only literally the Sunday before I decided I'm just going to go out here and fly around and I'm going to give me a job. Mm-hmm. And so and this was not even something that was on my list. And so Monday I go to have my interview. By Tuesday, they gave me a job. And I think Wednesday or Thursday, I bought a car so that I could get to work and everything. And. I started working there, um, doing fundraising, and in my first month, I raised eighty thousand dollars 
wow. which is a lot of money. But at the time, I was so bright-eyed, but she told that I didn't get how big of a deal it was, you know, and how much notice I was getting outside of the fact that I was being requested all over Georgia to speak at different um, government, like, offices and, like, UPS and all that kind of stuff. And, like, the J.C. Penney's that I, I did their um, United Way employee fundraising campaign, ours raised the second most money in all of the U.S. during wow. the campaign, like all out of all the J.C. Penney's in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. And um, one day I, I come in, I knew that my like the young woman who was right above me, like she just got out of college to maybe a year or two before me, and her job wasn't like an uber secure job. Which at that point I didn't have any real understanding of job security. I just felt like you get the job, you work it, you keep it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so. I didn't get that, like, as I was making all these waves that I guess, like, um, she wasn't taking too kindly to it. And at nighttime, she was talking to her supervisor. I don't even know what she said about me, to be honest. And um, the next thing I knew, I was I was called in and they told me that I was let go. And mind you, how long how long was this after you started? Just a few months. Good so, God. Yeah, so I came in, and mind you, I also had way more cases. I had 115 accounts, and I kept having more accounts, but I had way more than any other person in my position, and I was by far the youngest. And I came in that day, and I had my Excel spreadsheet with all my different um, um, accounts, the ones that were in green, the ones that are in yellow, and you know, color-coded and how much I raised in all the information is so like when I tell you I was dumbfounded, <laughs> I've never been fired from anything, but also I was excelling. So this idea was just so like for like just I couldn't even conceive of it. And I left there just crushed, to be honest. And like, you know, why me, God? And um, to fast forward. And so also Georgia's a right to work state, so they don't have to and they told me they didn't have to tell me why they um were letting me go. Mm-hmm. Right. And and again that crushed me because I I'm a fighter, so I wanted to fight. I wanted to because I love United Way. Mm-hmm. Right. I love what they do, I love what they stand for, and I love their, their leader and stuff like that. But again, making it full circle and the fact that like you don't give up. So I know we'll come back to like my business and everything and all of that. But a few years later, and having my business, I had an opportunity to come back and pitch to United Way my services. And that has, like, a good ending. (laughs) And they really did like it. And so hopefully if things um, continue in the right direction, then this summer we'll start our official partnership where um, um, we'll be doing, like, an engagement strategy and helping them with some of their events, Lord willing. But... um, that's just testament of keep going in your craft and what you want to do and don't let one person deter you and don't let one person like you were talking about before determine if that bridge is always going to be burnt you know other people have been like oh this is such a bad thing why would you ever go back why would you ever go and pitch yourself and and go straight to the the ceo of this organization that raises over 80,000 I'm 80 million dollars a year mm-hmm. <laughs> And go straight to like, yeah, you need me yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> you know. Um, and so 
again, it's just being passionate about what you do and, and continue to hone in your craft and, and work at it. But uh-huh. that was devastating. That was devastating. And then after that is when you made your, is when you made your pitch to event planning? After that, I went to work with a company um, called, mm, I don't even know I should say the name. Yeah, but it's a company, it <laughs> only because they're so private that, like I told you, when you type in their name, it's only a member's page, and that's for a reason. Or oh, it's like one um, of the malls where you go in and ain't no freaking tags on the shoes. I'm like, that's yeah. the kind of mall I know I need to be in. I'm looking at, I, I went to Lennox Mall my first time. No, <laughs> no, what's the other mall outside of Lennox? Yeah. What's the other one? What's the other one? Phipps Plaza, yeah, that's I, the one. I went that's there the when I, my first internship. I was going to stores. I was like, what's wrong with it? Ain't no tags on this stuff. Like, what oh, the yeah. And then, like, the dude was looking at me funny. Wearing you shopped with the stars, yeah. yeah. No, the, when you, you do know when the, when the customer associate is wearing a suit, that's a show. Yeah. That's a, that's a, you got. <laughs> that's like, I got a Ferragamo suit on. Yeah, and I'm like, like, are you selling <laughs> me stuff? Then that, then that means I'm in the wrong spot. I need to go with the bases where they got on, or where they got on vans or something exactly. like that. That's what my budget code exactly. says. But you know, I'm, I'm gonna speak that life. I mean, but still, that's funny. Go ahead. Yeah, no. So um, the company, um, what they did is they had over 800 C-suite executives. So like the CEO of Target, Coach, Ralph Lauren, um, Starbucks, all these things. And they would have their C-suite executives. So we had groups for each one. We had a CEO group, a CFO, chief financial officers, chief marketing officers. You know, we had a global one, all these kind of things. And each group would have two conferences a year, one in America, one internationally. And then if you were traveling to another country, we would try to see could we connect you to a um, a member out there. And then we would have like a crazy dinner for you that we would spend like $3,000 on the meal. Now, mind you, membership to this starts at like, I think $40,000 a year and goes up to 60000 just for basically two conferences. Um, working and so we would have like speakers like Desmond Tutu, P. Diddy, um, Hillary Clinton before the election, and just kind of a lot of high profile people to like navigate these conversations. Because if you're the CEO of Apple, who do you talk to about innovation? Like, (laughs) (laughs) you need to be in a room with other people who are on that level. And so, working with them, it taught me a lot about. Um, cause I, I had done embassy events in DC and stuff like that before. And that taught me a lot. And I'd done major nonprofit events, but this was a whole nother level of like, we have cashmere shawls just in case someone gets cold, you know? And, <laughs> and like, you know, we're sitting like our men's like scarves and stuff just because it's your wife's birthday and like things like that. And so it, it showed me like another level of guest experience you know, pulling this chair out as soon as someone leaves uh, so that you don't have that empty spot or, you know, you don't have that in the pictures and stuff like that. Oh, wow. And I use that on every type of event that I do. How are we branding? What can we edit? What do people see? What's their experience from the moment that they come in, you know, and what are we telling them? And what's our brand at the end of the day? You know, what do they walk away with thinking about the organization or company that um, I'm doing the event for? But, um, again, with that, it was another test because that one, they had a um, work culture that really promoted hazing, specifically hazing black women that came through. 
And um, because the company was so private that most people who worked there were the executives, nieces and nephews or the kids that grew up in the neighborhood or, you know, things like that. And so a lot of them were kind of like we were talking about before, like they didn't work through college. They came out and they got this really huge paying job and their parents still kind of pay for their apartments. And so them hazing, as the executives called what they were doing to me, they didn't care about the fact that it affected my job or affected my mental health or, you know, even my personal, like, confidence at that point. It was just fun to them and it didn't have any consequence, you know. But again, we'll talk about this later on, I use those experiences um, and, and um, creating events that speak to the experiences that as black people we might have working in a predominantly white institutions where we don't have the people advocating for us because I, I took a lot of notes on this is what's happening. This is how I created the solution. This was the result. I dated it. And then people, you know, the people who should have handled the HR or whatever, the managers, they just wouldn't read it and they would say, you're just being hazed and stuff. So you know, it got to a point where I left and I had to do a lot of deep meditation because I'm like, God, what what's going on? You know, I'm going back to this, like I'm doing what I think is right. I went to the school, you know, I wasn't crazy there. I, I, I worked throughout the school. I had a mm -hmm. lot of stress. I advocated for good things where I could. I'm working hard at these places. People like me, but I'm going through these challenges, you know. Mm -hmm. And then to the point that I had to leave, which again, like as someone who I've always grew up working um, and I love to work, that was really hard for me. And um, over time and really spending a lot of time in, in nature and meditating and meditating on the word, I started getting the idea of my business and like everything you've always done has been around events, has been around building communities, has been around business. You know, I did my first five course dinner when I was like eight or nine years old. I cooked it. My mom looked over my shoulder to make sure like I didn't mess up a recipe. But like mm -hmm. I've always had this proclivity of bringing people together around meaningful, purposeful experiences in different cool ways. And so that's kind of how I started this business. But um, I'm one of those people who are pushed into it versus saying, you know, I'm so bad. I need to come out here. The ego driving me to do this, you know. Yeah, and I think that's. I first, nah, I'm not gonna say. I was about to say I think that's the best way, but I'm not gonna say that because I mean, you. Some people, they, you get off from that. It can be I think, tough. <laughs> and I think it's, but it, I think it's. It's not easier. I'm not. I, yeah, I gotta be careful with those words. It's not easier, but it is a different. It's a different level when you're kind of you're pushed into it. Rather mm -hmm. than like jumping out, it's still a huge leap when you're, but I don't know. I don't know. Cause I think when I, the times, cause I have a lot of experience, I've quit jobs and say, yo, yeah. I'm gonna do this. And then it's like, dang, after years, like, yo, I'm still talented in it. But right now, I'm not at the point of yeah. knowing my craft enough to make the money I need to survive. So yeah. I gotta go back. But I think it's, it was different when you're out there and you didn't just jump off because you think you'd itch. It's more so out of necessity and, 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 and putting the pieces together. But I don't know where I was going. And with you're that. trying to sell people on this that, like, I, I remember in the beginning trying to be like, I want to be an event planner. It's like, no, girl, you better be an event planner. Yeah, you not. are. Like, you don't, yeah, you don't, you say, I'm trying to be a speaker, but can you, be, right. no, you are. You're a professional speaker now. Like, what you talk about? 
Right. It gets to that point, And I think that's also a mental thing of like having to build that confidence. Not only that, like, yeah, I know, like I could be a speaker. I know I could talk to these students about this, but that I am doing that and I am fully going for it. And when I introduce myself to people, I want them to know me as this and nothing else. Not me trying to get a job if you give me a hookup. But this is what I'm doing, you know, and if you know other people who need this, refer them to me. Yeah, and that's and that to be real, two things on that. That takes so much confidence mm-hmm. to really be behind something. Yeah. Like I know I was talking to my friend of mine today, he's a fellow speaker. He's doing well on the speaking circuit. He just uh he added a shirt to his brand and he's not like a huge name, so it's not like people are gonna be buying his shirts all crazy. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening right now, don't I'm not taking a shot at a huge name. He he makes a lot of money speaking, but it ain't like it is yeah. a a Morris Chestnut. Why did Morris Chestnut <laughs> first come to my mind? Um, a yeah. Eric Thomas or something like Mark, that. Like he's a why, my hill. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> so somebody just want to buy a shirt, but to when so right. when he he put it out on Facebook like, "Hey guy, I got this shirt," but he saw. I, I could tell he didn't really go, "Hey guys, I got this shirt." For those of support, go ahead and buy the shirt. And there's a different right. mentality when you own like what you're doing, even if one or right. two people like it or one people buy it. But it's different than just soft, like softly doing. I think I saw a quote the other day about I forgot her name. She was in Precious the other year. She's big. She's not big anymore. Yeah, Gabrielle. Isn't and she that had name? a quote like, "Yeah." And she was like, "Growing up, I of course she was in not of course, but she was very insecure about her weight and all this other things." Yeah. But she said, "Everything changed when I said I am beautiful. I started acting more beautiful. Right. And you and, and everything changed. But a lot of people, even I'm on this business tip, but just on a personal tip, how you treat yourself, how you look at yourself." And you and, and yeah. don't really believe who they really are. Like, and they don't believe, oh, yeah. I'm beautiful. Confidence. Confidence don't come from affirmations of, hey, yo, you're a great event planner or you raise $100,000. Confidence becomes when you believe you're a great event planner. Right, right, right. And then building those skills behind it, too, because the yeah. more that you go, yeah. for instance, I have bookshelves of books on events and nonprofits, strategy and engagement strategies and all that kind of stuff and marketing. The more you really go into your craft, the more confidence you have because you understand pitfalls. You understand you can look at other people and say, oh, that's not quite right or that's how I would change it. And once you start getting that confidence of being like, I could do this and I could tweak it even better, you know, that gives you another level of confidence. And another thing that I think about confidence is that it's the exchange of trust. So, like, if I say, like, you know, I have confidence in Greg that when he comes to this school – He's really going to motivate these kids and he's going to set them on the right track and path or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm saying I have trust in you that you're going to do this, you know, and that trust comes from the way that you present yourself, your delivery, but also having that content. And so, like you were saying before, yeah, he can go on there. He can say, support my cause, you know, buy the shirt if you've been listening to my speeches and you believe in it. But then going to a next step forward and knowing your purpose support these shirts because they represent x y and z and all of my speeches go back to this and so when you wear this shirt you're you're really supporting you know students who care about the environment or whatever it is mm, yeah nah, and then not. you have a lot more people buying into it buying shirts for their nieces or other children around them that they say oh that'd be so cute if the little boy <laughs> in my neighborhood had that it just means so much to me that message and then you're really promoting it versus, again, like you said before, being scared. Hey, I whipped up this shirt. Click the link. <laughs> <laughs> Click the link. Like, we got shirts. Like, it is like, I, I feel right. like, yo, 
for y'all listening, she just dropped something big on y'all. Like she, what you just said is so is so key. Why a lot of people are failing in their businesses, to be honest. Why and for a large part, even certain things that I do, as far as not just getting people to buy and listen, but get people to buy and to donate or to do whatever, you're failing because. Yeah. People like and, and oh man, I, how can you articulate? Because I want you to articulate it because I think a lot of people miss that the, the point you said. Okay, there's a difference in hey, it's my shirt than a person that's really getting behind a purpose. Not just hey guys, like the purpose is this. Not stating it, but yeah. like, how do you frame it so it's not like hey guys, um, if you want your niece and nephew to feel embodied on the black spirit and the guy right. that's fighting oh, his dreams by the shirt, that's a whole different pitch. So. Now that is something. Let me just okay. So in Detroit, we have a lot of really smart, like the black community here, just a lot of really smart people and a lot of intellectuals. And even like, I could go to like the the farmer, the black farmers here who really look at like this topology or whatever and the soil and all that kind of stuff. And then they get to a point where they want to teach the kids their trait and it becomes so formal and technical that i cringe like like oh like i don't <laughs> want to go to this and like like i support what you're doing and you don't want it to be that but you want to convey your purpose in a way that people get it and so it goes back to understanding a lot of times your story and why you're doing x y and z you know and understanding why people would want to be a part of what you're doing so if i'm a speaker and I always speak about women's empowerment and how to really get ahead, not only of the fluff stuff, but like being in a business room with men who do not typically do business with women or with men who typically, when they see a woman applying for a job with them, they automatically think that she should be their receptionist or admin, you know? And if I'm going deep into that, then I know I should know how I'm different from other people and I should be able to communicate that easy and quickly. So for, or even going to like my events, we create enchanting, engaging, well-executed events with high returns. That's how we're different. It enchants people. As soon as you come in, you're like, wow, I'm meant to be here. It engages you. It's well-executed. So you never say, oh, they should have done that. Or I went to risk, registration table and they didn't even know how to register me like or sign me in or whatever and then we have high returns on average our events are four to six times higher our um event returns returns than when they use their own teams or when they use other event planners and that's because we take the business strategy but if i just went out there and i said hire me because i do events and maybe you have an affinity to buy black or whatever that's not enough <laughs> mm -hmm. that's not enough you know i can't or i can't say oh just because i went to this great school i'm a smart black girl you should no i have to be able to articulate exactly what makes me different and my purpose you know and and but that takes time to keep pitching yourself and and you start saying no this is really what i stand for or you start realizing wait that wasn't specific enough i could be even more specific next time i introduce myself to someone you know or a little more clear and i'm not just a speaker because like you can say i'm a speaker but who do you speak to mm -hmm. I, if, if someone just told me they're a speaker and i do all these conferences and summits i would have no idea which summit i should hire them for even if i had a good amount of money and a budget because you didn't tell me Anything like an academic speaker, a policy speaker, 
you know, speaker for students, a keynote speaker, like what? You speak to musicians? Mm-hmm. Yeah, nah, nah. You you are you're you're right, right, right where I need you right now in this in this show. And to kinda to to mm-hmm. to pivot slightly, I did wanna to get into a question because this question when everybody thinks of event planners, there's two there's two there's two two areas of people. There's some mm-hmm. people that say if I do an event, I know I'm I I I don't live and breathe event, so I'm gonna hire somebody, outsource it, and do it all. Yeah. Whatever the budget is, I know it's necessary. Right. There's, there's another camp of people, event planner. What do they do? Like I I get it, but I can do it myself. I, Eventbrite is there. I can create an Eventbrite, create a description, have some photos right. up. I can get my cousins to volunteer. I get my auntie right. I right, get my right. cousin to volunteer. Famous. You know she threw that that fish ride together last yeah, year so, real good uh, and, and this is and I, I, I mean, I'm being honest it's not even oh this is me I, for a lot of stuff to be honest I'm like yo shoot uh, especially if your entrepreneur has got it out the mud and it had success sometimes you like hold up Cause, and then it's like, well, how much should I pay them? What? Because you don't, you know, industry standards on everything else. But it's like, hold up, how, what do you know was a good offer? What do you know was a bad? How do you right. know it was a good event planner? You say four one investment. Like, yeah. how do I know? So, I want to ask some questions for those out there that are thinking about event planning or and everything else. So, the question is, at what point should you consider and not consider having an event planner? That's like the first first question. Okay, if you're doing something that you know is just social, like I'm doing a small baby shower or something, perhaps you don't need to hire an event planner, you know, because that's something personal and you're not going to have that return. First of all, let me step back before um, I get there. A lot of people don't know what an event return looks like, you know, like what are you talking about? So... On one level, is how it can be how much money you get back for how much money you spend on that event. So, for instance, when we talked about the event that um, raised a little bit over a quarter million dollars, we spent about at least $100,000 on that event. But that night alone, we raised that much, you know, mm-hmm. and um, that doesn't talk about in the future how many people are going to leave there and give at a higher rate because of that experience and because they saw that this is our caliber and this is the community of donors that we built. Um, And let me pause again because um, people seeing the community that you built of donors, sponsors, supporters, heavily motivates how much they promote what you're doing. So if you say, I wanna do this thing for kids, you know, um, I have my conference coming up, and then you have all these club promoters and things like that, then I'm going to look at you sideways because that's an adult industry that a lot of times have a lot of things that hurt, especially women, you know, and these are half the kids that you're supposed to be representing, you know. Like, I, I worked with one um, school, and they were growing, and one of the guys said, yeah, I know a lot of people at these clubs down here, and we can get a percentage of what they get at the door. That would make no sense to have money from an adult club mm-hmm. sponsored this charter school. Mm-hmm. You know? And so you like that so like you have to look at the community and where you're getting the money from and all that because it can either attract more people to you or or, or detract. So I'm sorry, that was like that's really important because a lot of people don't look at their guest list hard enough. 
And that also can affect your return on your, your event. Because if you spend a lot of money, say we spend $100,000 on this event and we only have space for 200 people, but I know that 200 people can't spend or give more than $10, you know, so that's $2,000. Yeah. You know, and so, or they can only give $10 a month. You know, it's just... You have to you have to know your audience. And you have to think about that. So um, that's part of the event return is how much money you can get um, back from how much you spend. Also, part of it is how much awareness. So um, how many articles are being written about it? How many people blog about it? Um, how many times is it retweeted or you know journalists are speaking about it or whatever it is? Or you have presentations in the offices about this event or your sponsors are promoting it, like how much of that's happening. Um, and, and counting your sponsors' networks because like I've partnered with big corporations who've had um, mailing lists of tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people that greatly boosts the awareness from the year before when you only had a thousand people because they were created by that specific nonprofit. Um, your event return can also come from um, long-term relationships with these donors or sponsors of how much they spend throughout the year or they give and volunteer hours um, really do add up a lot. I forgot how many billions of dollars it was last year. Um, after, offline, I can come back and tell you because usually I have these statistics, but um, the amount of volunteer ad, um, hours for nonprofits go into the billions of dollars that not, um, that Americans donate just by coming out filing or working an event or feeding the homeless and that's money that they're saving from not having to pay someone a salary to do that right yeah. mm -hmm. and that all comes from the event and the experiences a lot of times that they get or we came out in this team building thing with my corporation and i love your program so much i'm going to come back and do it on my own so all of those are some ways that you can have a return on your event where there is boosting your um, the loyalty people have to your, your company and your brand, how much you're spending, and the way people think of it. And one last thing I'll, I'll say about that is like Red Bull. They're really good at creating a identity through events. What kind of, okay, before I even, what kind of events would you think Red Bull doing or supporting? Um basketball dirt bikes uh yep. rtv motor vehicles yep. extreme yep. sports uh yep. spartan runs yep the things that they you know they toss you in the in the lake on a tube mm -hmm. kind of stuff all that like backyard down home mud mud fun you know kind of thing and that was very very specific just like Sprite, what do you associate them with? The DJs, rap battles, yeah. uh, the dunking contest, yeah, dunks, hip hop, mm -hmm. you know, like urban they, Drake. They, yep, yep, and and they put their locals on these events, specific events, or you know, Red Bull will always come out and sponsor urban things, but or or um, not even things that aren't urban that are like in the rural areas, so that you're associating these good times and these experiences with their brand. And I'm trying to teach nonprofits how to do the similar thing with their mission though. So when people come out to these events, they're associating you with 
if you're girl empowerment, that you really are girls empowerment and you're not just having all females of non-color on all the panels, that you have a diverse group because a woman of non-color cannot really talk to my experience as a black woman going through corporate America or going through the nonprofit world that does not have a large percentage of black women, even mm-hmm. though our education level, you know, we know all the statistics of, you know, hashtag black girl magic, but it's not really being represented in the professional field. So you might have great tips on how to be a better professional, but you might not speak to all the challenges that I'm going to deal with specifically. Nah, you hit it you on know? the head. And do you, and does your company do, cause I, I definitely want to hone in mm-hmm. cause I know our audience, some of them are in the nonprofit space, but a lot of them are like solopreneurs or they're yeah. starting businesses or they're in those kind of lanes. So do you do, do you have advice? And I, I got questions for it, but do you do for profit? It's not like, yeah, for profit events, yeah. like say, like mixers and summits and stuff like that, that are not specifically for donors, but more so ticketed events and whatnot. And also, too, as we mm-hmm. to kind of put a, 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 a filter on the, the dialogue for this, because I know I can already tell you have, you have situational, situational, situations for different events, but right, for those, right. those people that don't have huge budgets, and that's the second question. What type yeah. of budgets do we expect for event planners? And um, and you can give us the low, the mid, and like the, the for the for the regular, because I know there's people on. I just want to know just in general what typical event planning, what kind of budgets look like as far as just paying for the service, not as far as what. And and then also too, yeah, you pay for the service. Do they get a budget? Like I don't know how that even works. Yeah, yeah. So typically, um, so I do work with. For profits too. That's the first thing. And if they're smaller, I'll probably help them more on a consultancy base of like helping them create. This is your plan for your event. Mm-hmm. These are the details that you need to brand yourself to reach these markers of this will be good and worthwhile for you. And I'll help connect them to different um, people that I know, or I can help them with looking over like in- invitations which a lot of times can like kill the event so for instance um in atlanta notoriously you have you been to atlanta have i been to of course i've been to atlanta what okay <laughs> sorry so they were notoriously known for having flyers with half naked girls on the front that's and, everywhere <laughs> well that's probably everywhere but so but with this you're really alienating half of your population, right? Of, like, saying, basically, this party is not about you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is about the guys. Or these are about the women who really do identify as this chick on the front. And that's not a lot of women, you know? Even if you feel good that night, a lot of times you don't identify as that girl on the front, you know? And so um, having someone to really help... Because also with that, you're you're saying sending messages of what you think about your female audience, you know, and what you think about them coming to your event and how much you care about them, you know. And so having an event planner or someone who has to, I can really help you in, in um, this. Um, and then going to, to the next question that you had, a lot of times companies will know this is how much money we have. And um, you you look at your marketing a lot of times, it's like, um, this year we have 25% of our budgets going to be towards marketing. 
And out of marketing, we want to do these type of events. And um, your cost really does um, depend on the size of the event, what kind of event you're doing, and again, your guests. Because if I'm having an event for C-suite executives and it's a reception, my wine has to be a lot better. The hors d'oeuvres that I have has to be a lot better. The music that I have has to be a lot better. Then I'm going to have an event for young professionals who really are just eager to meet new people. And they don't really, probably don't care how how good the wine is. You know, if anything, yeah, shoot, they it got might drinks. be a little tipsy. <laughs> good. You know? <laughs> but then it's not like, it's so that affects your budget. So again, knowing who who you are targeting is really important and so that you can strategize around that. And knowing that getting event sponsors and partners help with your costs so that you don't have to do everything out of pocket and you don't have to put all the burden on you. You know, um, I'm doing events up here where I'm partnering with Afro farmers so that like the black farmers up here so that we get wholesale food, but also it's, it's farm to table and it's the best ingredients. That's something that I care about. You know, um, you might have someone who do flyers and banners or whatever, and them being able to have their local on your stuff, they might want to donate some of that or T-shirts to you, and that saves you money. Um, but price low to high, high would be 20% of your event budget would go to event planner but you have to think of event planner at that level as being a production manager you have a lot of contracts you have the venue you have your event teams you have audio you have visual you have lighting you have your caterers you have your rental companies you have your event insurance you have your signage you got valet you have so many different teams that you're vetting you have security um that you're vetting you're creating um, timelines for and diagrams for you want that person to be able to handle it and you want to pay them right you don't want to skim with your event manager or your event planner because they're the person who's being a production manager for all of this you rather save money on the individual pieces versus the person who's being the conductor mm-hmm. and I think that's where people mess up a lot and then my final thing is that I would not go to that auntie that you know is good at throwing that great party city party because um, social events are completely different from corporate events um, and nonprofit events. And that's something that I see as a problem, especially with a lot of young guys because they're used to doing like promoting parties in college and stuff like that. So they feel like, yeah, I could pack a place. That's nothing. But then they miss all the cues that people are looking at when they look at your event. Where's your banner? Where's your logo? What's your logo on? What are your flyers that I take away? Where are your cards, your brochures? Where are the people to sign me up? You know, um, are, is your color scheme really being used throughout the place? Are you just taking all of my money and using it for yourself? Because people feel very they get very upset about that and they feel like kind of betrayed if like, for instance, I got invited to an event up here that um, the tickets are $150 or $250, but the invite didn't tell me the food, the drink or anything about the experience I'm about to have. 
And you want me to spend almost $300 for this? And I don't know if you're going to feed me. I don't <laughs> know if it's going to be a sit-down thing. Who's going to be in the room? And so literally what I did was I went on LinkedIn and I added everybody that showed that was going to be the speaker. Because I'm like, oh, well, if there's someone I want to talk to, I'm going to set up a coffee date. You don't want that to be the person's reaction. You want people to be incentivized to actually go to your event and not just see, oh, is this someone I should know? And go around it, you know? Because my thing is like, what are you doing with this $250? And if you have 10 of us, or if you have 100 of us who come to this thing, you know, you can't just play. It, events are not just a gambling thing where you can just see how much money you can get out of people and you don't give anything back to them. You know, we're buying into it because we want an experience. We, mm. You know, it's like Beyonce knows what she's doing. She didn't go on and have that formation tour and just sat down the entire time on, on a stool and told you to, to pay this outrageous amount of money. She gave you everything and more, and then afterwards, you're like, yeah, that was a good $5,000 well spent on you. Know? Yeah, whatever you did. And, <laughs> um, and if you could, if you could, if you could give some, 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 some more practical advice for those that want to do events but say if their budget's not crazy they're starting they're not their past is just starting off point but of course they don't have corporate corporate backing yet they're trying to get sponsorships they're trying to do all this other stuff but like what do you think the core things they need to focus on before they say hey i need to go get thirty thousand in sponsorship oh yeah i need to do yeah. get 400 people at three three hundred dollars whatever and they got a good purpose however they're just they're just kind of lost in some of the practical things that they should do. So can you speak to that individual out there that, that wants to do right <laughs> yeah, but don't got yeah. the budget just yet? Like what's some practical things they can do um, that they can, can help them? Yeah, okay. So in the beginning, as you probably know, you're really excited about this new event. You're like, yo, I'm about to have this culture change conference. We about to take over. You want to write down at that point every single thing you're feeling, everything that's getting you hyped about it. You know, when I walk in, there's going to be posters of kids that have been affected by, you know, my message and a story beside, you know, what they're doing. You want, what, however it looks in your head, write it out. Or whatever sells you on this thing that no other conference is like this, write that down because those are going to be the selling points that you bring other partners in on this experience or the event, and it's also going to be guide to make sure that the event day actually looks like what you want it, mm -hmm. you know? And then my second thing would be, do not rush it. Do not feel like, if, especially if you haven't done a lot of events, like I can, I can honestly say, yeah, next month I could do a, a, a new mixer or a new dinner that I didn't have the materials for or whatever, but I know all the things that's needed for that and all the partnerships and, and ways that I can negotiate the stuff. But like, if you haven't done it before, give yourself plenty of time. And a lot of events really take six to 12 months to plan out at mm. least. And the even bigger ones. So even bigger productions take two years. And, um, it's because you're, you're looking at your marketing, you're looking at the messaging and you want to make sure that everything speaks to who you are and it goes back to like really spending a lot of time and knowing your purpose. And so like I was talking to one guy and I'm like, okay, okay, you have this great thing that you want to do this this um, mixer around or whatever. 
I could see people coming. And I said, what happens when people give you money? What are you going to do with that money? Uh, well, I just wanted people to know about my thing. But you have to be prepared for the next step. When, when you give me money, we're going to instill these systems or we're going to get more teachers to do this or we're going to invest it this way so that people feel confident and giving to you or growing your business because even if you have a poor profit if it's a really good cause and it's a, a need being filled people will donate money or they will send clients your way but you have to be able to handle it and you have to know what's going to be next with that what's the next stage or like i did this great event and like we talked a lot about it was an event series for for black business owners in Detroit and it was it went on for months and we talked about what would be the next step and I guess it wasn't quite clear clear to one of the people presenting exactly what was going to be the next step so when she ended this phenomenal presentation we had like people were moved by it she just kind of rambled about we'll see how things go next where it leads Keep your ears open and it was demoralizing. <laughs> Keep you know? your ears open. Keep your ears to the streets. Right. Like, what? What? Like, you just got us hyped up about these black women, all the stuff they're doing, how y'all been having the sisterhood for all these months. And now you just kind of, like, that, that makes people lose confidence. And then, especially if you are, um, especially if you're a minority doing this or doing a, a thing um, and you have stereotypes against you. You want to know what the stereotypes are and combat that. So if it's that we do things and we don't have long-term systems for that, if you're going to bring that up, make sure you have a long-term system that you're addressing. Don't don't fall into the traps that people already have or, like, you know, um, it being a community event. I hate I, – I, I really dislike what people call it a community event because that means, like, janky, podunk, you know <laughs> – we don't got any money. It's going to be in a church basement, but we're not even going to like spruce up the church basement. You know, it's, and it just, it, it lower, it automatically lower your standards versus like, this is an event where it's people in our community and we're really sharing great um, thoughts and we're, you know, or activities and it's great food and it's visually appealing. Like community event, that never, it doesn't give you that idea, you know, it just, Yeah. So and also because I mean I got I can have questions for days that people can relate to, but for sake of time, what 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 are some foundational? Because you have a library, what mm-hmm. are some foundational books that everybody that's even going to even think about doing an event within the next ten years? What are some foundational books, tools, websites, resources outside of just making a call to you and your website and everything else? Yeah, what, what, well, what, I have to give a quick plug because you asked. Yeah. Um. I have an events podcast, Riel's Events Podcast, where we talk about just this, different aspects of your events. And it's for people who perhaps right now are not in a place to hire me or they want to see what hiring a consultant be worth it or things that they can kind of um, improve that are easy. But also um, for women, there's a book that I, I picked up and it's an older book. And it's called, um, I think, like, The Women's Selling Game or something like that. And it's by Carol Hyatt. And it talks about um, negotiating as a woman and um, kind of creating your own um, 
professional presentation in the world and like how do you handle men and um and i think that's really important because events planning goes back to a lot of relationship building and contract negotiations and you have to be very aware again of how um men see women and the roles that they are typically used to seeing women in even though it's 2017 or whatnot you'll be surprised at like how much sexism you deal with um in this space, um, and that's something that I speak to a lot about, um, especially in Atlanta, because of some of the events that we, we have down there. I think that's really important of a book. Anything by Judy Allen is really great to read. She um, has done like, she did like thousands of huge events for like Disney and everything else, and so she gives a lot of great um, advice and whatnot. But my thing is reach out to somebody who, who, who does events, and a lot of us are pretty flexible. But having someone who can help you, because this is a business, you know, whether you're for profit or not for profit, you're doing your events for business purpose strategically. And and if like if I was going to create a new app, I would ask someone for help because I'm not a technology, you know, technological person like that. And I think there's a point where you have to understand your your limitations, too. And, and ask for help because it can be very overwhelming. And I've seen people who are like solo entrepreneurs or who were um, starting a nonprofit on their own and they got so overwhelmed by like the fourth or fifth month into the event planning that they start turning on all the people who are really there to help. And they're like, you haven't done enough. You're not really here for me. You're not I don't a real know what one. You're... Yeah, like I'm here day and night working on this thing. But it's like... If you had a planner, they could probably pave the way for you and they could help you with like, this is what you need to do right now. And it's digestible and you stay on track and you never are overwhelmed and you can delegate and they make you delegate to other people, which is also really hard for a lot of people because you're like, this is my baby and there's never been the event like this ever yeah it's always like dick (laughs) and so no one can help me and so like you know i think that's another thing that you have to get over and you just have to ask for help i'm not gonna do the maintenance on my own car even if i look at a lot of youtube videos i'm gonna ask for help so i don't mess it up because it's too valuable to me man you you are you are speaking you're speaking real right now and it's it's very practical because in the end of the day you know you people when I when I need an oil change, I know dang well I can't go under there and change the oil. I don't know where the oil right. cap is. I, I know that's not my gift. If a radiator buzz, I'm not going to go in and fix it. I have to go to a mechanic. There's no way. But a lot of times when, when we when with something we want to do, like make an app or all this other stuff, we go mm-hmm. to YouTube, we go to all the stuff, we start doing it ourselves. But you you are not an app maker. Not to say you shouldn't try. But how long does it take yeah. you? Yeah. Even <laughs> if you get to the your first thing, you're like, it took me months on this. It still kind of don't look right. Versus someone who's done a lot of them, they understand, that, okay, this color palette looks right or this transition is cool because or whatever. society is, is, is sexed up the word grind. Because people right. think grind, like grind to me, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to, I don't, I don't say I'm grinding no more. Because grinding, yeah. I've, I, there's a lot of stuff I've grinded on doing that was dumb. I could have asked somebody that like when I, when I first dropped out of college, I could have, there was stupid the reason why. Because I didn't ask nobody for advice on a mm-hmm. partnerships or how to work with stuff. I just spent $20,000 of my own money on an event that flopped because I was a party yeah. promoter. So yeah, and it could have been avoided. I've seen that a lot of times. I've seen, 
I, I have a friend who went through a, like full inheritance of like a hundred thousand dollars on events. They were great, had a lot of great people. Long term, did nothing, did not create a return for him. No branding. Hire great artists to come out. That's another big thing I would talk to people about. Like, don't just pay for a celebrity just because you like the name. You know, you like their music. Yeah, you gotta be wise. A couple times, boy, I had a couple retweets yeah. and like, oh, I need to bring her up. Flew out at fifteen <laughs> people, and I'm like, bro, y'all said y'all wanted her. <laughs> right, right, and you get a little quick thing, and then people leaving all they talk about the person you brought in. They're not talking about you and your brand and what you're doing. And you, unless you a club and your thing is about having the hottest people there, you need to be at a point where you can honestly have a great event with or without that person, that, that celebrity. Mm, and I hope... And I then hope, you add them. Yep, and I hope everybody's listening because I know we're getting deep into event planning, but I hope whatever lane you're in, whatever profession, it just speaks to the point of, there's all. first of all, there's always somebody in your field that's deeper than you. For, there's no, but there's always somebody deeper to you, and it's, it it just seeks to reaching them, reaching out to those people that are like, and 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 being comfortable, and then when you reach out, be honest too. Like, okay, if you don't have nobody, hey, hey, I I, I know if I reach out to X Y and Z, I I don't got it right now. So if you if you just send me a link to some articles or whatnot, be grateful for that. Don't be like like try to hide. Like, okay, so what's your budget? I don't know what the budget. Blah, blah, blah. No, own yeah. it so people know how they can help. Right, and and that. Know your budget because for me, I'm not one of those event planners that I will make a budget work. I I, I did a, I did a run in Atlanta, a Pat Tillman run, and outside of like what my fees would be, they spent five hundred dollars on the entire run. Right, we raised thirty thousand dollars that year. Before I think they the highest they raised was six thousand dollars. The most they had was sixty seven runners. That year we had over three hundred and 50 runners. But the thing is, you have to be honest about your budget. I could, We could have done a lot more with a bigger budget. But if that's not what you have, you know, don't, don't do that. Because then the return's not going to be right. Versus now, if, knowing the right budget, you can push harder on getting the right partnerships. It might be a little bit more hustle in that. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, you know, you can make a lot of amazing stuff happen. But you have to be honest. And I've had clients that... I was a little earlier in my, my business, having my own business, and I didn't get that this was happening. Their budgets changed. And they, even though they were much older than me, they were not comfortable with acknowledging the fact that they didn't have the same budget that they thought they were going to have. And so they kept projecting, like, everything was, like, all of a sudden my fault. Even, like, things that were, like, you know, that's fixed. Like, that's, that's not an issue. Like, they would make up things just so that, like, to redirect versus just saying like hey i don't have this amount of money what can we do because your event planner or the person you're who, who's helping you they have solutions and a lot of times they have networks that at the end of the day they could probably tap into to help you yeah no nah, yeah nah, I, I say it all the time and it, it I, have to, I have to pick myself so i can believe it because the speaker sometimes you say so much you have so many messages that some days you're yeah. like yo look in the mirror because it's like yo if you have a problem a, a lot of people that need help don't realize they have a problem <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. The students that like be like, why are you walk around? You you not learning? They don't realize that they need to learn. Like, mm -hmm, what? Mm -hmm, oh, I need to study. Mm -hmm. What you mean? 
What you mean, Mr. Like, seriously, they know. They're like, what do I need to do? Like, <laughs> I, come, I come to class every day. I should get an A. What you, like, what? If you don't need... If or you what don't... is studying like? Because I, or I've had to teach students how to take notes, you know? And it's not silly. It's, these are things that someone has to sit down with you and be like, if that point wasn't obvious to you, if that point you didn't think of yourself, write that thing down. Because you won't know it later. And that's what you study. <laughs> oh, that's easy. That's simple. If it's not obvious to you, you can write it down. Like, right. <laughs> I like that. That's but very simple. Nobody ever told me that. that. <laughs> no, because a lot of people think stuff is obvious. and they, they, cause they But it ain't that deep. Like People are just probably listening right now. They're like, yo, an event. It's obvious that you should be doing this and stuff. And it's like, hold up. And when I'm talking, when I'm giving a speech, it's like, yo, there's certain things about temperature, blah, blah, blah. And now it's obvious to me now, but when I first started, right. it wasn't obvious. And I know in five years, it's going to be like, yo, gee, that bingo is obvious. But a lot of people, right. they're just starting their career and they think stuff is, they, they're not noticing stuff. And mm-hmm. it's just, I don't know, we can get, we can go there for a while. So I know we have a lot, there's still a lot to talk about on that, but we'll save that for another time. Maybe a webinar Definitely. or something of that nature. Um, but yeah. everybody that's listening, they know, and I, I you have talked around and talked to us so much that, they know that if first of all they need an event done, they need to go contact you. Second and foremost, <laughs> too, they know that there's 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 always in in your craft and your space and whatever, whatever you're trying to do, at minimum, even if you can't afford it, whatever, at minimum, reach out to those that are in lane that know what they're talking about. Not the fluff yeah. stuff. Because I know some event yeah. planners that could not articulate half as much as you just did in twenty minutes to me. Yeah. Um so it just it, it speaks volumes to that. But before we get to the culture change round, I want to ask, what what do you want your lasting legacy to be? Because, I mean, I know you're doing event planning now, but as our conversation, when the first half of our conversation was all sociology, all a lot of other stuff. But all my events are around social cause. Even when they're for businesses, they all have a purpose. And I think, like, for me, this could be a whole, we can come back to another time and talk again about more things that I personally went through because, Early in, like, through Wellesley, personally, I went through a lot of really big stuff and traumas and whatnot. And we talked about me being sheltered, and me seeing those things taught me how vulnerable I am as a person and how vulnerable I am as a black woman and how little bit of resources there really are for us, even when you, quote-unquote, done everything right and tried to make you, you know, everything that they tell you as a black person you should do to get this brighter future they promise you or whatever and so all my events when it comes have really deep content and that speaks to the social issues that people are dealing with so like going back I talked to girls empowerment a lot okay we have classes on negotiating because a lot of times we don't teach women how to negotiate how to negotiate for their contracts or salaries or or um, bids or even how to do a strong pitch or a quick pitch. Like I sent you the message on LinkedIn. You, you could say, oh, it, it sounds a little pretentious or whatever. It was direct to the point and it lets you know what I want to talk about, why I thought I would be good and why I relate to your audience and your show versus me sending you eight paragraphs and you at the end, you really don't know any of those things. Yeah, and I did not say it sounded pretentious. But it could. I did, oh, you know, yeah, I was about to say, I just yourself. laughed at the, uh, yeah. yeah, I just laughed at the, like, <laughs> this is an Ivy League school. And I was like, Wellesley, in my head, I was like, that is not an Ivy League school. What school is she talking about? Like, at first, I was like, yo, it's a scammer. Like, you know, they got a lot of yeah. different kind of people. 
Clinton and I looked at the thing and I was like, hold on, I feel dumb now. But uh, no, no, no. But yeah, but it's but that's a skill that I had to learn. Or you know, um, years ago when I when I was um, like still like you know doing internships stuff like that, someone was like, you're very ambitious, and I like that about you. And I thought that was like the dirtiest word you could you say to me as a woman. Because I thought like ambitious women were like women who didn't want children and didn't want families and only cared about work and like like the hyper like the cartoon type of thing, you know, where they're just bossy. We'll use that word. They're just really bossy and um, they don't get along with anybody. But over time, I realized ambitious is just having really big dreams and going for it and learning new strategies on improving what you're doing so you can hit those dreams. But again, that's something that I had to be taught because as a woman, these things that might have been good for men aren't good for, aren't always taught that they're good for us, um, like qualities to have. But if I have a girl empowerment thing, I want to talk about these things. I want to teach them specifically, these are techniques you can use. These are books you should read or, or people you should follow or you know careers you can do. And so all these social things that we talked about before really end up um, coming up at every event that I do. Or if I'm doing a Mother's Day thing, I'm thinking about, are we just looking at traditional mother-daughters? Are we looking at foster care families? Are we looking at adopted family, you know, children? Yeah. Are we looking at surrogates? Like, what are, how, how are we defining this? And that goes back to the social aspect and, like, how do we frame conversations and who are we leaving out of these conversations, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, as we jump into, uh, and I think you answered the question though. What did you want yeah. your life? I think yeah, I think that legacy. That, yeah, I think yeah. that kind of that kind of summed it up, right? Yeah, I yeah. just wanted to be known for like, I use my passion um, for people and for um, bringing people together and through events. Um, I think that that's what I want people to know me for. Um, at the end of the day, I want to be able to go to a level where I'm known throughout the country for doing different things. Um, but also on an international scale of doing, uh, there, there are a lot of international summits that we don't ever hear about, but there's someone who plans those things, you know, where they're bringing different, um, major NGOs around the world together, or you have conferences for farmers from around the world that they bring together or you have like, you know, the UN does a lot of summits and stuff. And I would like to be that person um, that they call to or that firm that they call to um, call upon to create really important events that impact people no matter what level in society or what they're, where they're at. You know, I, I think that would be the legacy that I, I'd want. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that event is not just fluff. It's not just flowers like that's that's a part of it. But it's not just like you know, something that you just push off to the side as frivolous. You know, you hit on the head. I think that's my biggest, that's why the essence of why I feel, why I feel the need to even do an event in my, in my space because I'm, I've been to, not to call events out, but I've been mm -hmm. to a lot of black yeah. empowerment events and whatnot, yeah. which is cool, but I, th I felt like it was like a lot of pretentious people talking about yes. their successes, but not really giving real blueprints on what it really yes. was. It was like... Yes. It was a lot of the hard work, grit, and they had some good talks. But what is the practical stuff? Because you know, unfortunately, in our society, sometimes is 
you don't want to give people the right blooper to get where you are. It's like, hold up. Right. Am I really going to tell you, okay, get get to get a podcast. Here's the exact steps. Not to say we're at the top of the top, but we, we, we reached a certain pinnacle of, of success in this lane. I'm not going to give you the exact steps I did. I'm just going to And we have you- to stop that. Like, you know, like, that's the worst. And that's so common, but that's and the I hate worst it. thing I hate ever. That. I hate that, too. Because, I mean, the, the reason why in my space, like the blogging space, the podcast space, mm-hmm. all these white men... Michael Hyatt, uh, mm-hmm. John Lee Dumas, uh, Lewis Howe, they mm-hmm. all gave me the blueprint. So I'm like, I sw- that's why uh, why I do what I do, because I want to be the guy to give it all away. Even now, I, there's certain people in certain spaces that I get away. And even they've even surpassed me, not on not in the podcast, but on other things I gave them advice to. But I said, that's what it's supposed to be. That's what, like, because that's and, what But they won't want. they put you on, even if they surpassed you in the podcast space, they will get to a platform where they go back and say, say, Greg, you still doing this? I have an opportunity for you. Here you go. You know, because that opens so many doors and then they can see I could connect you with these people and you're part of their network and their their sphere, you know. The cat's close. I mean, I've never and not just to put it in a black culture, mm-hmm. but it's, it is yeah. proliferant that a lot of people are closing doors. And like, like I'm like, hold oh, up. Yeah. You always, well, we're supposed to be opening the door. We're closing as many doors as we can so that we can go into another house and, let, and leave everybody else in the same one. So I was just sick and tired of, or the opposite, where you go to conferences and all it is is mixers. It's all it is is like people, people getting drunk right. and having fun. I'm not, no. yeah. not going to put no people on blast. No conference on blast. I'm like, yo, what is this? Like We go right. here, we take cool pictures on rooftops. We round black people successful, but we ain't solving no real issues or we not even... Right. We're not strategizing. No. We're not implementing any of this stuff. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. And that's what we're fighting. And I'm, I'm so excited for your conference. I'm so excited for us to continue the conversation. And for me to help you in some way. (laughs) At least brainstorming and thinking about it, you know. Because I'm looking at like Chris Gullibo's conference and a lot of other conferences and and even though I have not I haven't been to all of them, but at least they're marketing, they look like they really having fun and really doing good like really working on stuff. Like so why like uh what is what what this all stuff like this all these TED conferences, all this other stuff, it look very innovative, cool, forward thinking. Yeah. And then all of all of our type of conferences sometimes is it look like we just brunch. We all we do is brunch chicken and waffle brunch we got exactly, uh, we, exactly. we just we, like no did we did, where's where's our space that we're being innovative cool for thinking why is it just we just cool people in suits taking pictures with drinks you know that's exactly so i um i'm starting this group called incognito and it's a humorous group of black professionals who are tired of hiding within corporate america or predominantly white spaces and um, you probably know the term incognito. It's usually a term we use for black people we feel like are assimilating too much into white culture, right? <laughs> and um, it's funny, but on the other hand, like it's funny because we've used this really. This is a term that's act, 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 actively used or whatever. But um, on the other hand, when we say that about each other, we, we fail to realize that when you're in multicultural spaces, you have to assimilate on some point, on some level. Mm-hmm. Because your biggest thing is to get through that school or get through this job or whatever it is. And also when we do that, when we don't provide resources to those black professionals that our co- colleagues get. So we don't get the mentorship that, we, that they get that we don't get the um, networking or, you know, perhaps we leave this company, but our network is looking at other companies that could hire us, you know? We end up having to go through the whole system of finding a new job from square one 
versus having people to to help us. So I created this group so that we would meet monthly on Sundays at this really great space. And we would have a five-course meal. Each meal is paired with great wine. We have farm-to-table dinners from black farmers, wine from black wine shops here. And each meal we talk about a different experience or um, issue that we deal with, whether it's microaggressions, whether what is it like being a black woman in a professional sphere. And we could come together and actually talk about it. We have different activities um, to help us work through it. But I partnered with the Detroit Mental Health Authority so we could have black counselors there so that it really is helpful and we're not just rehearsing scripts that we said before and we're not leaving angry like because of the things that happened. Like I could talk about the United Way things that happened beforehand, but I worked through those things and you know, it I'm to the point where I could go back and try to work with them again and have this really great fresh start. But I had a I had um a network around me and a team that helped me through that. And so that's something that I want to create. And I think that you can do that through events. So I just love the last point that you made. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm all on all aboard and hopefully, uh, yeah, yeah. Cause I, I, I still think, and I think before we get to, we're about to get the yeah. change around, but I also yeah. think that too, the reason why the podcast, not even an event, the podcast, cause I still, there's so much, black talent in all these spaces that mm-hmm. are really smart and really progressive really doing great things in the industry but don't really have a lot of name recognition so right. when you go to conferences you don't see the the i mean not and, and it's crazy yeah. because the new the new wave of like tech entrepreneurs black and black places like they're, they're, they 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 earn their shine i like it but it's like you look at you say if you look at a roster and you say, hold up, I don't know this name. I didn't see this name on Forbes 30 or 30. Are they relevant? But then, honestly, to be real, I, mm-hmm. I know some casters on Forbes 30 30 that it's like they, they position and angle themselves there. But yeah, I know some casters yeah. not there. This this really millionaires doing it. So that's neither here nor there. Right. That's a conversation of another day. Because that, that, yeah. that's, that's the, the first time I realized. That. Yeah, that's the first time I realized, like, hold up. You're a 4, 30, 30. You really ain't about. Hold up. Never right. <laughs> but I'm like, but so I, I, I just hopefully. And we can talk offline about it, uh, but I know I want to be one of those guys that, 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 that defines the realness of that of cats. This 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 really tactical and giving away blueprints that are, that are not yes. you might not know them off the top. They might not be Zims, and no no this because Zim is phenomenal. Yeah, but but, it, but they are like they can tell you step by step by step on how to really do it. Exactly, and you need that, and that's something that we need because like at Wellesley, I I realized how much they're being taught at this level and even like how to network or how do you write these emails? How do you present yourself the way that you promote yourself to other people? You know, um, these are all strategies that are being passed down and used and we're not, we're not learning it. And so the, the ones of us that are making it, we kind of talked yesterday about some of our friends. We have to go back and talk to everybody else. Like, I see what you're doing. I like it. But this is a way you could tweak it. I'm not judging you. I'm not criticizing you. But I know where you want to go. Or I see you being even bigger than this. Here's a way to do it. And then helping them do that, not just shaming them for being um, not to that level yet or the standards that you have. 
No, that's huge. That's huge. That's huge. So the last round, the most exciting mm-hmm. round, the culture change round, where I ask five rapid fire questions and you give me five rapid fire answers. Are you ready? Oh goodness. Yeah, I'm yeah. ready. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best piece of advice that you have never received? The best piece of advice I've never received. Um At some point, you have to define yourself independent of everybody else. So at some point, I went through so much and I was holding on to like, this is what this family member thinks of me or this is what this ex-boyfriend said about me. And it got to a point where I had to define who Riel is for Riel and then, you know, and let that be. And it can't be because I'm fighting against the narrative someone else put on me. Or this is what someone else thinks of me. Like, it's not even about that anymore. <laughs> it's about just Riel and, and what I think about who I want to be and stuff. So, mm. If you could add one habit and take away one habit, what would it be? Take away one habit would be I apologize. And that's one thing I hate for women to do. Like, do not apologize. Do not apologize for being awesome. Do not apologize for intimidating people. Do not apologize for intimidating men, especially when you know that you are actually good at what you're doing and you put a lot of time and effort in being good at that. Um, And when I say apologize, it could be apologizing for just being there. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm in the way. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't even know what I'm sorry about. Like, you know, and that's something that I do sometimes is before I think I say I'm sorry, but uh, now I'm getting to the point that I'm like, I'm not sorry. And it's not even like a, a, a I Beyonce, sorry. I ain't sorry. But mm-hmm. it's just like, it's nothing to be sorry about. And then I seem, because I also realize it makes you seem always scared, mousy. And there's been times where people have been like, you know, you make me feel like I'm bullying you. Like you make me feel like mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm scaring you. And that's not the case. So like, you know, I, I think that's one habit I would change and one habit that I would add would be to go out more um I used to socialize a lot more than I do now and I think I mean yeah half of it's like I go to an event I'm like this is so not worth it um (laughs) (laughs) not worth how much money I spent to get here but also I think that like going out is really important it's really important when you're in college it's really important when you're young um and you're you're finding yourself and you you need to go to different experiences and see like this is what I like and really push that envelope and not go to the same type of event or the same type of thing you know um yeah so I think that would be the thing I would add is to be a little less of a hermit (laughs) I get you I get you you. (laughs) what is your favorite book and why oh jeez I Oh, oh, (laughs) (laughs) I read a lot and then I'm thinking of my favorite book. If I had to say like the book that has been most impactful has probably or a book that I quote a lot was been the new Jim Crow. Oh, yeah. yeah, Um, I love that book. I read that book a lot of times. I think that book I like. I I like books. I like research that talks about from the beginning of a problem and goes through time and how we've 
either changed or not changed our idea of that one problem. You know, and I think that book does a really great job of how we've enslaved um, black people specifically or have done things to keep them in a specific area level and not let them have their rights and that never really changed throughout history. And um, as someone who thinks that way, I, I think the way of like timelines, like my mind is always thinking of everything as a timeline. So the way that book is written is very appealing to me. Nah, I love it, I love it, I love it. What is your biggest fear? My biggest fear is instability. My biggest fear is going back to a point where like no money, kind of homeless, figuring out, like just pushing. And I think because that's something that has been real for me and it's something that I never expected for myself and the learning not learning that the the poverty cycle is so strong <laughs> and so real you know especially for us minorities and um black women again especially black women um i think that's my biggest fear is that i would get to a point or go back to a place where i i'm not stable you know and although i'm working hard and i'm doing everything i can that it's just not adding up. I think that's really scary to me. Mm, that's deep. That's deep. That's deep. And the last like, question. I want to have a house. I want like, you, like I'm not so, I don't like, I'm not a crazy, like over the top person. I don't like ball out on clothes and you know, you see I'm natural or whatever. So I'm, I don't rock a lot of weaves anymore. So that's, that's money I don't spend on, you know, that. But for me, just having um, one place I call home and I could be a piece there, that's really important. Mm. I love that, I love that. And the last question, before we do our culture change question, our culminating question, like a thesis, mm -hmm. is uh, if you were the president of the United States, what's the first thing you would do? <sighs> See, when I listen to this, uh, and I hear everybody else <laughs> <laughs> give their feedback, I'm like, oh, this is what I would say. Oh, they wrong for that, that's too easy. Now it's my turn. Um, if I was a president of the United States, the first thing I would do is to really look at the sex trafficking that's happening in America, that's, again, specifically happening to black women, that's happening in Atlanta, that we're seeing in Maryland and all over the U.S. and all over the world, you know. Um, it, I would, that would be something that I re-look at and Again, I would go back to like the, the new Jim Crow type of looking at and going back to when we had laws of saying black women couldn't be raped, you know, and all the histories of how many of our families and our, I'm sorry, I'm about to get deep. I'm trying to pull it back. <laughs> but how many of our families' stories are affected by these rapes and are, are affected by taking the bodies of black women, you know, even one of the... Um, my great grandmother, whatever, she was a product of her doctor raping her mother, you know? And we highlight certain features that she had or attributes that she had, but that's a very serious origin story, but also is very common in our American history. And so today, as we're taking these women or as we're pushing them into these sex worlds and these, um, sex industries and, and being sex slaves and we're not talking about 
the systems that we have around it, not paying them appropriately for their work, not providing them with the right types of jobs, or even if we're all black people of having black men and first and only seeing them as assistants and not seeing them as having full potential to be the financial officers or the project managers or having bigger, wider skills, not just servicing your needs and whatnot. That's something that we need to talk about. And if I was president, that would be something that I would really bring to the forefront because this is half our population, you know, um, and we can't just keep turn a blind eye and just think these girls are bad or these girls are running away. And even if that was the case, what is so bad that is making hundreds and thousands of young girls just run away from that and never come back? You know, what have you experienced at 13, 15 years old that would do that? And, and what are they experiencing that are pushing them into these young boys' arms or these men's arms that are um, persuading them into to these to these lives and stuff like that. I think that's really important. I mean, of course you go into education, but if you're not here to be educated, hey, you know. Yeah, nah, is it, if you're not, there's, there's always bigger, bigger questions that unfortunately it's like, it's hard for the right people to tackle. That's the key. Right. It's bigger right. questions, but the right people and then, of course, if you analytical, it's like, okay, then what determines the right people? That's the conversation of the day. But, I mean, there's a lot of big questions to schools. and But it's like, who is, who's answering them? And then the people that are answering them, they're not the people that really necessarily would be the right people, too. And it just... Good, who's answering them? Because, like, even when I was back in sixth grade, I was a goofy kid. I didn't really know anything really about sex. You know, like, I have a hypersexual family, but I didn't really get much outside of like you know you make the circle one finger and the other finger go in now like ooh, they doing it <laughs> kind of thing like that's what i got but then i entered sixth grade and a lot of the girls were already sexually active and when i would talk to them it'd be like these 16 year old boys the 18 year old boys the grown men or they were already being touched by people in their family wow. and no one talked about it and even to this day when i talk to men and i and who have children and who have daughters and i'm and i'm talking to them about not only the, the need to talk to their children, their girls, but also their sons about it. They say, these things have always existed, even when I was young, that in, in the six or 70s or 80s or whatever, it, as if that's an excuse about it. You know, I don't think that there's an appropriate person to talk about this. I think that we all need to talk about it. And I think that we need to be very upset and passionate about this stuff because not only are these young women losing their innocence, but they're losing their mental health and their, their stability. Because these things are, are being forced to them and are happening to them that they cannot explain. And now they have to deal with this, this level of fear and insecurity of not knowing who to trust or, you know, this darkness is going to be something that's going to take some, another part of them. And they don't even have the words to articulate this. And we're too scared to talk about it, but we can rap about it. We can have all this stuff on our, our reality shows. We can blog about it. We can talk about, you know upgrading our bodies and doing all these things we can be so vulgar with it but we can't talk about the realness of our children or of the young girls who are in college who are being taken advantage by 40 50 year old men because they see their vulnerability because they see they are young and they don't know anything yet and they have had decades to practice on these lines mm -hmm. you know like this is something that we have to be upset about be passionate about but it doesn't just as a community, we all on every level have to talk about it. We have to be like 
Twitter comment mad, like Facebook posts upset, you know, about this so that people higher up care enough and that we're holding them accountable. And we can't just be like shocked or, or shrug like, oh, it's always been this way or you just have fast girls because if you put it as them being fast, are you born fast? Is this just, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, and it goes back to the good girl thing that we talked about earlier and that, again, these women are going to have psychological problems for the rest of their life unless we talk about the fact that this is not their problem. Like, this is not the problem that they, it's not, it's not their fault, you know? Yeah. No. And it's not a problem that they need to solve on their own or that they should have to struggle with. And that's why, like, I like shows like Greenleaf because for the first time, we are talking about it and we are talking about the psych, like the psychological effect and what happens when the family and stuff like, and again, like you, you can create a lot of events around this and, and this is what gets you passionate and, and, and whatnot. And I'm sorry. I just kind of no, 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 took no, you there. Is, no, this is, this is the, but it's a, it's conversations we need to have. And like, if we all grow enough to, to rap about it, talk about it, you know, put it on Instagram that we need to be old enough to talk about the dark side of it and what we're also promoting and, and, and adding to perpetuating um, within the black community, but also within the greater American community and, and culture and stuff, you know, nah, yeah, you're on the head. I think it's a reality. The, the, the small piece that I, that, that I can add, not add, cause that yeah. you said it enough. It's just that the fact that I think, a lot of times, especially us as educated uh, yeah. black folk, we we tend to laugh or not laugh, but we tend to um, say, "Man, what in the world?" Like th- th- these rappers, they talk about nothing, man, whatever, whatever. But in our the way we treat women, the way we do things, we, we the same. We're we're cut from the same cloth. It's like oh, yeah. they ain't talking for nothing. They just blah blah. blah. But like oh, the the way we act, the conversation we have. It's the same thing. There's no disconnect. So it's just, it's easy because it's the easy thing to do it. And it's the easy way to not hold yourself accountable. And then, yes, um, there's just so much, this is, it's, yeah, there's a lot with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my last thing, because I like to leave with solutions, not just like get people riled up. My solution, and especially because I talked to a lot of men about this and like men around your age and everything like that. My solution is for y'all to talk to each other. And when you have a, a guy that come around and be like, yo, man, I just met this shorty. And within that a night or two, I was able to do X, Y, and Z and be like, why are you, what about that makes you proud? You know, like, oh, so you just got somebody else and open their feelings. Now she's hopeful that you're going to be something like you need to challenge it versus being like, man, that's so cool. You know, or like, because, again, like you said, it's easy. It's something that you're used to. You don't want to really shame your bro or whatever. You don't want to seem uncool. But the more you play along with it, the more he's going to do. And he's going to try to get a even wilder story that shocks you next time. Mm-hmm. You know, man, it was her. And then it was her best friend the next day. Like, whoa, really? Like, And and it become, you become so desensitized that you forget these are real people that you're doing to this stuff too and these women are going to carry it with them they're going to ask is this me is it about me how could this happen to me what should i've done to verse and again something i learned that someone should have told me 
you define yourself based off of you and not other people. But that's something that as women, we learn a lot later on. And a lot of this heartache could be avoided if our guys were talking to each other and not playing into this is cool or we not going to I don't want to talk. So I'm not going to go into it. I'm just going to say, man, you wild. No, that's not enough. (laughs) You got to nip that because like, you know, when you have a little sister or a sister or a good friend that you call your sister, you're like, nah, he not, don't mess with him. You know what you're saying. You know that you're saying some, some parts of his personality, the way he treats women is sketchy, and he doesn't fully respect them, you know? But the fact that you know this should be something that urges you to try to change that with that friend when he's bringing those things up versus, like, trying to just tell the girl not to like this person. Mm-hmm. Well, you help your man evolve, like. Yeah. <laughs> so he gonna be forty years old still acting this way versus people saying, "Come on now, you, we we not fifteen years old." Yeah. Come on. Nah, you you man, wow, that was some. Wow, that's that's deep. That's deep. This is an event planner, guys. Uh, <laughs> this is this is this is this is. <laughs> For most event planners, you're not getting a two hour podcast out of that. There ain't ain't enough material. You gonna be hard. You gonna be fighting for forty five. Um, so I mean, wow, wow, this has been. But thank you, thank you for having me on here. Thank you for. <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, no doubt, no doubt. And I think um, you kind of answered. This is the first time in history you've answered. You answered the last, last question. The last question I asked is like, what would you change about uh, the black culture specifically? And I think yeah. you kind of you 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 hit it all. You hit everything. You hit life. Everything on, boom, on boom, that boom, last boom, boom. thing. So I don't I don't want to uh, beat beat a yeah. beat a beat a horse. Um, yeah, but the dead horse. Yeah, but it's it's been it's been very very enlightening to to say the least. To Thank say the you. least, and um, I, I just pray that uh, our audience can 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 not only get the practical stuff but get the context behind it. And um and take away something that can encourage them to just to just to be better and, and if anything because there's steps before you become better just be more knowledgeable because you can't yeah. be better until you're knowledgeable so yeah let me say just be knowledgeable so um from 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 the the, the heart of Minority Trailblazer Nation and myself man I just I appreciate you one for being so flexible and, and adjusting um today and just giving mm-hmm. us well over. Two hours of, of, of your time. <laughs> well, stuff you can cut out and mix or whatever. No, I'm not, I'm not, I don't cut out. That's one thing. It's like until I, I, I just I'm I'm a I'm a big I'm a big proponent of realness. And plus, I didn't get any. I didn't get any. I didn't come into this with a crazy ego. So I don't care if somebody like yeah. oh, this is two hour podcast. I'm not listening. Oh, don't listen it. Don't get it. Like, it, it ain't gonna be. People like, like yo, that. gee, have you ever thought about doing thirty minutes or an hour? No, I haven't, um, and I won't because it just. This is this is like I'm just having a conversation. This is uplifting to me and hopefully in, in, in the thousands of others. And if not, just don't listen to that. Listen to another one that suits you. So it's just right, that right. It, it, I, I I have no preconceived. I'm not. I don't have. I haven't reached out to sponsors. Sponsor reached out to me, but I'm like mm, okay. But it's it's, it's yeah. about the culture of conversation. I really think every second. That's why I don't take out something because I've always think that what if the minute that I took out, what if the, the thing that I say is irrelevant to me may have been relevant to that person to help them take their career to the next level. Yeah. Not to say my yeah. podcast should be 10 hours, but it's like, I, I, I'm, I'm not, it ain't that deep. Yeah. I'm not yeah. losing sleep. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so my other trouble is in this, you already know what it is. We always close it out like this. I need you to do one thing. Actually, no, two things. First, leave a review. 
it don't make no sense we got 157 we should be at 200 by now so i'm gonna be on y'all i'm gonna incentivize it in some fashion because i guess everybody loves to get incentivized i i, I guess yeah. i'm gonna think about it but make sure you leave a review and second 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 make sure you remember and don't ever forget to change the freaking culture good night